Good morning, everybody. My name is Abby, for those of you who don't know me, and I just have a couple of announcements for us this morning. Um, the first is actually not an announcement, but a tool. So um, one of the things that keeps us away from God in this life is distractions. And so one of the tools that we want to provide you guys as a church is um, Bible verse memorization. So we have a Bible verse memorization tool on our website, rethinkchurch.cc. You can access that, and each week we'll have a new Bible verse to memorize. And as you go through your week, as distractions pop up, hopefully these verses will start um, coming into your mind and your head as you're going through stressful situations or whatever it is that life has, and will pull you back into what the Lord has for you in your life. So if you want to access that, again, it's rethinkchurch.cc. Um, we also have little index cards in the back that you are welcome to take. Um, write out those verses each week. Um, next, if you're new, I just wanted to welcome you guys for being here. We want to give you guys a gift, so stop by guest services in the back after the service, and we'd love to answer any questions that you have about our church. And then lastly, uh, I just want to thank you guys for giving to the vision and mission of Rethink Church. Um, it's the last Sunday of the month, and if you've been here this year, you may know that that is our Missions Giving Sunday, and so we will be also taking a special extra offering for missions um, to support Destiny Rescue, which helps bring girls out of sex trafficking and give them a life afterwards and kind of um, rehabilitate them and teach them about Christ as well. And our church has been able to give a lot of money to this mission this year. It's been really exciting to see what such a small church in Indiana can do overseas. Um, so if you want to give to that specifically, there is a special missions tab um, on our give web, on our website, um, and you can give at everythingchurch.cc, or we have our black box in the back by the door. We're so glad you guys could join us this morning. Uh, so I don't know about you, but sometimes we just need to be reminded of why sometimes we just don't follow God, right? Uh, sometimes we have distractions, sometimes we just get like off track, we're like, yeah, whatever, and we compromise, don't we? Like, it's not that big of a deal and all that. And I don't want to be like, last week when we ended, we talked about these stones and how these stones are huge, hugely important, like remembering what God has done in the past and will do in the future. And so I hope that this week you've walked backwards into the future, that you remember what God has done and how he will continue to do this. Now, we talk about this, like sometimes it's uh, you and I not following God because we compromise and all this. But here's the deal. Even the early church struggled with following God. And there was an enemy in, like, the, the biggest enemy, the biggest distraction of following Jesus in Jesus' own backyard. Uh, we're going to talk about that today here in a little bit. Um, but I'm going to show you some pictures here. And so in these pictures, you'll see this. This is part of the trip that we took, and, or I took him to Israel. Um, this picture right here, this is a, a picture of the northern part of uh, Israel. This is Mount Gilboa. This is where David, or sorry, where Jonathan and uh, Saul end up dying in the battle. And so we walk up this mountain, and we kind of walk down it into this other valley. And as we walk into it, we just kept seeing these gates and these walls and these cities and the ancient ruins uh, and stuff like that. And then this next part right here, um, should I just let me take over? Okay. So this next part right here is, maybe not, go to the next one over, Shad. So, this is the Crusader entrance to this. These same spots have been fought over, have been conquered, have been destroyed by earthquakes, have been destroyed by storms, fought over again by other like storms and stuff like that. So, several hundred years after Jesus, the Crusaders came in and they built these, uh, these kind of gates. And the way you knew that these were Crusader gates was because they just took all kinds of stones and threw it in there. They didn't care about uniformity, they didn't care about the way it looked, 
It was all about functionality because they had a purpose to defend their things. And so uh, you can see these cells in different, this next picture right here. And uh, these are some of the people that I was on the trip with. And so as we walked up these mountains, we just had no clue what we were getting to. But then we get to this next picture, and this is the biggest enemy of following Jesus in Jesus' own day. This picture right here. And what we see here are columns. We see a temple to Dionysus. We see a water fountain to the god of fountain, like literally a, a Greek god called Pontus. Uh, and then you see a bathhouse. And using like off to the distance, you don't really see it in this picture, but you see an arena. The Roman Empire, they realized that it was easy to conquer territories, but it wasn't as easy to transform the territories. Does that make sense? So they wanted to make it more Roman because in their mind, they were those civilized countries, and everyone else was barbarians. Everyone else that didn't speak Greek or Latin was just kind of second-rate citizens. We would never treat anyone like that in America, right? But because you don't speak our language and you don't do things the way we would want you to do that, we, we don't do that at all. But the Roman Empire, they understood this. Julius Caesar, by the time he has to, he comes into power, he's trying to unify people in three different continents with over 150 deities and gods and goddesses to do this. They worship completely different ways. They worship the same god, but in different names and manners and stuff like that. Um, and so what he decided to do was instead of trying to force them to transform into their ways, he just entertained them out of it. So he took, in every single city, there was four major parts of the city. One of them were temples to the gods, and that was like kind of there, but like you see this all throughout the, the Roman Empire. The, the main one was, would be a bathhouse. A bathhouse would be like basically a big sauna, and it was for anybody and everyone. You could be a citizen, non-citizen, man, woman. Clothing was pretty much optional. And so you would show up there, you would take your clothes off, you'd go into the bathhouse, and you would just hang out. And this is where lawyers conducted business with their clients. This is where business trades and deals were conducted. It's kind of like the golf course in our day and age. Um, but as long as you can afford, like, you could go in there for free, but then you could also go to the bar, you could go to the restaurant. Uh, they had cooling pools, which is basically lukewarm water, but it wasn't as hot as the sauna. Because um, they didn't have refrigeration or ice in that time, so it just was room temperature, which felt refreshing when you're sitting in a room of 100, you know, 105 degrees or whatever. So you'd go in there, you'd hang out, you'd spend hours in there, but you would meet and mingle with all kinds of different people. So if you had a fat, if you had a, a tent business, battered business, and you wanted some supplies, if you wanted to sell some big places, you wouldn't go ask them directly in their office. You'd go to the bathhouse. You'd find out who was there, and you'd connect with that person, and you'd all of a sudden business deals were done like that. So you could come out in there as long as you wanted to. The second building was the fountain. Now, ancient cities were, like, the main reason you created a city around places was because of water source, especially in the desert, right? So if you found a water source, you built the city around it, you protect it by the wall and all that. Well, Rome, once they conquered it, they, what they would do is take that water source and they would turn it into a fountain to the god Faltus. So then all of a sudden you have these fountains going on, but if you're a Christian and you show up to the city, how are you going to drink the water out of the water source? Because you have to offer a sacrifice to that God in order to get some water out of there. But if Rome is now taking over that water source, what do you do? You can't just go get a drink of water. You're not, you're not worshiping the God of Shantus, right? So this is the confliction that's going on here. Uh, the other one would be 
the, the other one, the main other third one, would be the arena. The arena is where the temple and stuff like that was taken away, or starting at the temple, but the battles would be reenacted. But not like our reenactments, you know what I mean? Like we have reenactments like that's you know bad acting and all that. They had reenactments where people actually lost their head. Like if the battle was supposed to go this way, they made sure that everybody died in that arena that way. Does that make sense? So <laughs> but in the arena, that's where blood sport was taking place, that's where all these kind of things were taking place. They retold the epic stories of Roman conquering other places. But then they'd also be like, hey, you're a good athlete, we have a good athlete. Let's see who's better, and the way that you saw who was better is basically whoever walked out of their lives. It was all for entertainment. It was all to remind people, we're going to literally entertain you out of this. Does that make sense? Uh, and in the arenas, in the gladiator arenas also, we, we can't just say, oh, that's awesome. Because in there, our heritage, our ancestors, were put on, put on display and martyred for their faith. If you wanted to go against Caesar, if you didn't want to worship Caesar and his temples and all that, that's fine, you just go to the arena and we'll see who really is the true God here. Does that make sense? The fourth one was the theater. The theater, this is, uh, this is where, um, let's see if this works here. Go to the next one, Chad, I don't know why it's off by one. But um, this is the theater in this area and this particular city that we're talking about in Northern Israel. And this is at least half of it. So in here, there should be two more stories. It was sat about 5,000 people. Uh, but in the theater, in the Roman production, there are four different kinds of things being produced. Tragedies, comedies, mimes, and pantomimes. Mimes were kind of like SNL with bad wardrobe malfunctions. So you just entertain people along the long way. Uh, and in these stories, what they would do is they take the ideology that Rome wanted to instill, and they just entertain their way through the culture. Like husband, you're the top. You are the top person in your in your uh, in your household. You don't need to love your wife. Your your first main born child. That's the most important person in your family life. Not your wife. So they literally laced this all the way through these cultures. And this is how they've taken over. The one thing to conquer these areas, but then they just null like lulled the citizens and the, the civilizations into being okay with it. And they did it also by just layering all this. Now, you can kind of see, should I go to the next picture? You see these columns here. This is in the theater in this particular city. Um, and this is granite, and this is marble. And here's the thing about the, this very specific about this. There's no marble and there's no granite in Israel. So they were shipping this from other parts throughout the Roman Empire. The other impressive thing about this is, in order for you to move, like transport marble into Israel or outside into any other country, it had to get approved by the Roman Senate. And kind of like here, the only way you get approved by the Roman Senate is through bribes and through other things. So here's this city who's this wealthy that they can have uh, all of this stuff here. They, they, they just bribed their way into this. Uh, throughout their whole colony, they had all these colonies, and it's all marble and it's all granite. And then the flooring was all mosaic. Chad, if you go back a couple to the flooring, yeah. All of this is mosaic. That was just like their sidewalks. This is Jesus' backyard. This is not in Italy. This is not anywhere else. This is Beth near Mount Gilboa. This is the Decapolis in the area that Jesus talks about. You can see the Decapolis 
from Capernaum, where Jesus' hometown was. So when he talks about this man who's demoniac, went to the Decapolis and preached his gospel, this is where he goes. And the reason, he, I think the reason that Jesus has his whole ministry here in the Decapolis is because he's training his disciples up. How do you actually interact with these things? They would have walked through Bethshean to go down to Jerusalem every year for the festivals and all this. They would have avoided, must have, must have went through uh, Samaria. So they would have walked right through here. And I bet you they trained, he trained Peter, James, and John, if you're thirsty, what do you do when you walk into this kind of city? How do you get water? Does it really mean anything to offer the sacrifice to Pontus, right? He would have navigated all these things through. And then where did Paul, where did Peter, where did James and John go? All throughout these kind of cities. All throughout the Roman Empire. And it's in these kind of cities that Paul engages in these kind of realities as well. And he's trying to take the message of the gospel, he's trying to take the good news of Jesus that you, if your sins have been paid for by Christ into these kind of cultures and civilizations. And he's trying to figure out how do we actually navigate this, right? I'm so glad we don't have to navigate any of these kind of things in America, right? We never have to worry about, am I going to compromise my faith by doing something? Right? This is where, this is where like, following Jesus looks a lot more like individualistic like decisions impacting other people. A lot of times we, we try to tend to think that, like, if we could just follow God through set rules, we'll be fine. And it's more comfortable, it's more easy and all that. But Jesus comes in and says, no, no, you guys, you, everybody has direct access to the Father through me. Now how do we navigate this? How do we walk through this? Because here's the deal that, has, that Paul's trying to figure out, is how do we take people who are following Jesus, who are Jewish heritage, who believe only in one, one God, Yahweh himself, they eat kosher, meaning they're only eating clean foods, they're not eating bacon, Sucks to have a bacon cheeseburger, right? Like, all that. Um, and all this, like, here's the deal about pizza, by the way. Pizza in Israel is all vegetables. It's like a waste, right? Like, seriously. Where's my sausage? Where's my cheese? Where's my meat and cheese? All that. I don't want to fill it up with vegetables. Everything was vegetables for a lot of But here's the deal. Like, he's trying to take people who have this ideology, who are heritage of the Jewish faith, of one God, Eating kosher that practice the Sabbath. Comparing that to the Gentiles, as well as he's going the going to the Roman Empire of pantheon of gods and goddesses, 150 plus things. Now, on the benefit, they had 150 days paid off. Like, think about that. Wow. Is this God's holiday? Sweet, I'm gonna celebrate that, right? Like, who would not celebrate that? So 150 days paid off just because it's some God's holiday. And birthday and some thing, right? About half a year also. On the other side of that, they eat bacon, they're like bacon-eating pagans who just worship whatever god there is, and they're so afraid that they're going to offend a god that even in places they have these things called the altars to the unknown god, like in Athens. Because they're so worried that they're going to offend somebody. And, it, and they literally thought that the gods were angry at them, and that's why they had all these droughts on this. And then the other side is because they didn't they didn't have so they had all these holidays they didn't believe in the Sabbath. Why would you need to? Give all these day, days off to, to to worship this God and goddess. Now here's Paul. He shows up to cities like this and he's trying to figure out how do we unify this group of people who are completely dead ends of the spectrum. 
And his goal is how do we get to them to get them to understand what salvation truly is. But for us, we tend to think of salvation as the end goal, but for Paul, salvation is really the starting line. Because here's the deal. It's one thing to get to the starting line, to get to the race. It's another thing to run the race well. And Paul looks back on his life, and this is the same goal that he had that I think Jesus has for all of us. For us to be able to look back and say, I ran the good race. I fought the good fight. I did what Christ wanted me to do. Right? And that doesn't come just because you got to the starting line. That means you actually ran the race. Paul is trying to get all of these kind of people to get to the race himself. Right? And so he's pulling this all together. And so he's trying to unify people with different backgrounds. He's the same problem that the Roman Empire has. He just doesn't have the resources that the Roman Empire has. Because he's not taxation people. He's not taxing people. He's not doing all this other stuff. Uh, he's trying to liberate people and say, no, you have freedom in Christ. Not oppression by the Roman Empire. So as he's navigating this, he's trying to get people to understand that you may have a background, heritage, and all this, but once you follow Christ, Christ becomes the most important thing. So you're not a Jewish person who follows Christ. You're a Christ follower who just grew up Jewish. Does that make sense? You're not an American who follows Jesus. You're a Christian who lives in America. Major difference. And your identity in Christ takes over everything. And so what he's trying to do is pulling all these, these ends of the spectrum together, and he's trying to unify them, and he's trying to get people to understand, this is how you live this out. This is how we get to the starting point. Um, this is what we call justification. Um, and so I'm going to read the passage here in a little bit. And so in this passage, what we will end up seeing here, what Paul gets to, is um, Ephesians chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles, by the way, Mark, I picked my debit card today, so I didn't have to look to look through. So figured it was good for something, right? But we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. We started the last week at verse 11. But in this, what Paul is trying to get people to understand is, especially the Jewish people, because the Jewish Christians treated Gentiles like they were second-rate citizens. They treated them as if, like, you're lucky to be on this point with us. Have you ever been on, like, like when we flew back, it was horrible. We walked through the business class, first-class people. Like, they had lounges. When we were walking through, they had, they had their slippers on. They had these sitting in their lounge chairs. Um, some of them had, like, the whole curtain pulled already. I was like, seriously, you're going to flaunt it that much? <laughs> and then other people, like, were watching movies on not a small little screen, but a big screen on the back seats and all this. Like, they took up as much space as they wanted to. The Jewish people were treating the Gentile Christians like they were secondary people sitting in the coach. You're just lucky to be on the plane. But this is, a, like, we're the chosen people, right? And so when you think about being the chosen people, and it's arrogant to think this, I grew up in a church where it was not, it was blatantly said this, basically America is the new Israel. Like all the promises in the Old Testament, maybe you grew up in a church somewhere like this, that all the Old Testament promises that were meant for Israel are meant for America. And all the warnings that were meant for Israel are meant for America. By the way, we're not Israel, so that's not true. And I love the one our pastor who was wearing a polyester seat to tell me this. <laughs> and I know he eats cheeseburgers. So I'm like, which one is it? You can't pick and choose, right? So, but we have to keep this warning. When we read the Bible, God did not write it for us as Americans. We have to think this through. 
What's the point of God choosing the nation of Israel? It's so that the plan of redemption and restoration would come through the nation of Israel. They, they misunderstood that God was blessing them just to be blessed. Not that we would ever confuse that either, right? But God blesses us so that we would bless others around us. Now, Genesis chapter 3, sin enters this world and screws up this entire earth, this world thing, and sin enters and we unleash evil. We have no clue what we actually did and Adam and Eve did. And so God put a plan of restoration and redemption in place. And that came in the, in the form of Jesus. And Jesus' nationality is Jewish. He's not American. He's not white. He doesn't have blonde hair and blue eyes. So, there you go. Alright? Which was shocking to me when I figured that out. It was like revel like all the pictures I saw of Jesus. A, he looks stoned, which kids, you know, ask your parents what that means. Um, <laughs> B, he always had white, like blonde hair and blue eyes. So here's what Paul says to the church of the Ephesians. Verse 11. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth are called uncircumcised. By those who are by, by themselves called the circumcised. Gentile Jewish people. Ask your parents for circumcision as well, kids. Um, that done by the body of the hands of men. Remember that at that time you were separate from God, or from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and the foreigners to the covenant of the promise, without hope. The Gentile people thought they had no hope of being made right with God. The Jewish people thought that their hope came through the law. And the law was like this, this thing that revealed how sinful they were. It wasn't a way to get back to, the, like, to that. Does that make sense? Uh, it was a glimpse of it. And without God in the world, verse 13, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far from God have been made, brought, made brought near to God through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, our shalom. Not in law. We're not worshiping God through someone else. It's only through Christ. We can have that relationship with Christ himself. Um, <clears throat> he has made the two one. He has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing in his flesh the law and the commandments and the, re the regulations. His purpose of, for to create himself one of new man out of us, making new peace. Verse 16. And in, in, in this body, he reconciled both of them to God through the cross, by which he put the, their hostility. Now, this is what Paul's getting at. He's trying to figure out how to, like, this is what we call justification. Justification means this that our sins are now longer gone. If we follow Christ, that we've admitted our sins, we believe that Jesus is who he says he is, but we commit our lives to him. There's no age limit on this. You don't have to wait till you're 13, kids. You can do this now. This is part of that process. You just need to keep doing it. You also are not too old to do this. If you're 99 years old, Jesus may just be getting started on you. And if you're anywhere in between, just do it, right? So, you make your sins, you believe, your, you believe that Jesus is who the Bible says he's between your way to What does that do? Justification, here's what it means. That when God looks at you, he does no longer see your sin. When God looks at you, he sees the righteousness of Christ put onto your account. And that your sins are not, like, it's not just covered up, your sins are literally removed and put onto Jesus. This is what we call justification. This gets us to the race. And for us, and for anybody else, it's the only, there's only one way to get to the race. 
through justification, through, through faith in Christ. That's it. And we talked about this last week, that faith, is in the biblical faith, is not a mental decision, but it's an act of like, we're faithfully walking this out. That makes sense? <coughs> so, we're going to put our trust, we're going to put faith in it, we're going to keep walking this out, and this gets us to the race. If you're at negative 10, you've now been brought up to zero. Does that make sense? We're here, now the question is, how do we actually work this out? And this is what we call the churchy, churchy word for this, it's called sanctification. Your way of walking this out is going to be different than, than mine. You know why? Because your life is different than mine. Right? Like, I have a different background, I have a different calling, you have a different background, you have a different calling. But we're justified in Christ the same way, now the question is how we're actually going to live this out. For the biblical author, salvation was never the end goal, it was the starting point. Running the race well, fighting the good fight, getting through, becoming more like the Christ you wanted you to be, that's the end goal. And as we do this, we should spread the gospel with us as well. The goodness of Christ should come through us as we live our lives. But we have to be, we have to have this trust that we our, our sins are now covered and removed through Christ and His blood. In this, a lot of times when we struggle through this, we just keep walking through this. <laughs> On our own, we can't do this, right? Right, <laughs> We can't do this on our own. Just help out. It's fine. I'm good with it. If you read through this passage, what you're going to see is that you are 0 for five in trying to make it right with God. You're 0 for 5, you can't do this, but verse 13 is beautiful, and it's a, it, there's the word but in here, and it's a beautiful but. I'll let you like, play on that one. Verse 13 says this, <laughs> but in Christ comes your redemption. On our own, we can't do this. But Christ did not wait for us to figure this out. He steps into our mess, and he says, let's figure this out together. Let me take over, or you screwed up. You just put your faith in me. Right? And then Paul talks about this dividing wall into uh, things. Now, we look at this and we're like, oh, it's metaphoric and all this. Chad's going to put a picture up. This is uh, the model in uh, Israel, Jerusalem Israel uh, Museum. This is the, about the size of a football field. This is the ancient city of, De uh, of, Jesus, of Jerusalem in Jesus' day. This is just the Temple Mount. The Herod the Great made this Temple Mount. Solomon's temple is destroyed. Herod, in around 43 BC, starts rebuilding this. And in this, it's about 28 to 29 football fields big. You can walk this. Like, I walked the Temple Mount, and it took quite a long time. Um, <laughs> so, this is like, this is one of the things. Now, the, the, the red thing off to your right, that's where the, 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 where the temples would come, the Gentiles would come. Um, and so you would walk into there, and there's these dividing walls that are four foot tall, and they had these signs in Greek and in Latin that said any unclean Jewish person who walked past this, and any Gentile who walked past this would be responsible for their own death. This was the dividing wall that Paul's referring to. It's not a metaphor. He's saying that this was a part of the practice. Now, if you read the Old Testament, you do not see anything in the Old Testament for the Jewish people to put this up. The rabbis put this up because they wanted to just have probably a way to manipulate people, but they wanted to make sure their, their excuse was to keep it clean from all that stuff, right? So it's not in the Old Testament, but they put it in there in the commentaries called the Mishnah and stuff like that. You see this dividing wall in the next picture a little bit more, uh, but four feet tall, spaced out like five or six feet across, there's these dividing walls that people do this. Does anyone remember why Paul 
is in Rome under house arrest writing the Ephesians. He shows up on a missionary journey to Jerusalem. The Jewish people, the, the Christians, the Jewish people are like, hey, obviously people are a little mad at you. You should go to the temple. You should make this right. There's a group of people that you're going to pay for the ritualistic cleansing and all this. He brings a guy named Trophimus. He's from the city of Ephesus. Into the temple. And they lose it. They think that he's taken a Gentile past the sword at that line into the temple. And they arrest him. They lose their mind. I mean, they, a riot takes place in this whole thing. Paul stands up, he addresses the crowd, and they quietly listen to him up to one point, according to Acts chapter 22, 21, somewhere in there. He says that God sent me to bring freedom to the Gentiles. And they lose it. They cannot believe this. In their mindset, God is delivering them from the Gentiles, not for the Gentiles. Right? We would never misunderstand God's promises for ourselves and making our own agenda right. Right? But in their mindset, think about this. The Assyrians, the Babylonians, for almost 700 years they've been ruled by other people. The Greeks, the Romans now, they, like, Paul doesn't, Paul's, sorry, Jesus was supposed to bring freedom from these Gentiles, not for these Gentiles. The redemption, the restoration of all things, should have only been for the nation of Israel, not for the rest of the world. So they lose it. Here's the deal. You and I, when we approach Jesus, we have to come to the point where we drop our own agendas, and we just simply say, Jesus, I want to run and embrace you. We come to faith in Christ the same way. We come to being justified in, in, in Christ the same way through faith, no matter what our background is. But you and I have a completely different way of living this out. But we don't have to make right, we don't have to get everything right to be made right for God. Jesus has already done that for us. I'm going to pray on Lisa and Russell. I'm going to come up here and sing the song for us, sing another song for us, and then we're going to move on with this. But I hope that you would cry this, like, make this your cry in the song. Um, because because of Christ, we've been made right. There's no other way of doing this. God, thanks for this day. Thanks for who you are. Thanks for everything you've done for us. And Jesus, I pray that we would just simply love the fact that you came for us. That you did not wait for us to get right. You did not make wait for us to get clean enough. That you stepped out of heaven into our mess. And we're made right in heaven. So God, we want to thank you for